Hi everybody, this is Vincent and you're on Hanging Out Sunset, my podcast. I know what you're gonna tell me. Yes, I know, I haven't been around for a long time. But I have good reasons for this. Trust me, but really good reasons. There's nothing bad happening in my life, it's all good. Actually, I'm about to have a child and he's supposed to arrive uh, in April. So very, very soon. This, uh, of course, is changing my life in many ways. And that's why I have to confess, I didn't maintain Hanging Out Sunset the way I I used to do it, um, you know, for the past three years. Obviously, a lot of changes happening is going to continue to happen. So sorry if I wasn't around, but I'm here with uh, an amazing artist today that I got uh, the chance to see live towards the end of the last year when she was performing at Zebulon in LA, Scout Gillett. And if you're looking for a singer who isn't afraid to be raw, honest, and unapologetic in their music, that's her. You need to know about her. I mean, she's a real artist. You know, she's not posing, it's not fake, it's not just communication. That's a real artist who is just being herself. And that's amazing nowadays. I have to say it's one of my favorite artists that I discovered in the last year. And uh, you'll be able to discover more from her today on this interview, but also live in LA soon. She's coming back on March 21st and she's going to perform at Genghis Cohen along with Ben Gray, the singer of Dear Boy, who's going to be our next guest on this podcast. So uh, I'll try to not take a whole month to edit that interview. And I have to tell you in advance, it was an amazing interview too. We talk for about two hours with Ben. I mean, I'm starting to think that this podcast is more like a therapy, you know? So I'm not going to talk too much today. I just want you to discover this amazing human being who is uh, Scout Gillett. And and that's it for me today. Let's do the show. Hi everybody, this is Vincent and you're on my podcast, Hanging on Sunset. And today I have the pleasure to have as a guest, Scout Gillett from New York City, right? That's where you're based. Yes, that's where I'm based. Welcome to our secret location in Los Angeles, which is not on Sunset. But uh, still, the vibe is the Sunset. (laughs) Actually, we're close to Sunset time, so that should work. That works, yeah. (laughs) How are you? I'm doing really good. So, Scout, you just released um, an album, No Roof, No Floor, Mm -hmm. on Capture Tracks. And um, you're currently on tour, and that's why we have uh, the pleasure to see you for real. (laughs) Because you're here in California right now, you have a a couple of dates, 
So you were playing Joshua Tree last night. Mm -hmm. You're going to play in uh, Orange County and then San Diego and then come back to LA on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And we'll be there with Julia uh, to take uh, some pictures at your show. And I have to say, I already told you that, that I'm in love with your record and your music in general. Thank you so, so much. So I'm very, very happy that you're here. Me too. Thank you for having me. How's been your uh, journey in, uh, on the road on this tour so far? It's been good. It's been a whirlwind and, you know, we did a three-week tour in the East Coast and Midwest and then I had a week off and then came straight to LA. So it's been different, all kinds of different shows and experiences and audiences and it's just been a big journey and I'm, I'm excited to dive into the song solo and let them have a new form of life. That's great and I can't wait to see what you're gonna do <laughs> on your own because mm -hmm. uh, there's uh, big spaces and uh, textures on your songs in your records uh, on your records uh, I just can't wait to see it stripped down. <laughs> yeah yeah that it's purest form of how the songs were written and I think it gives me more freedom with my vocals to explore and you know with the band you're so used to having it you know you still break loose of how the structure is, you know, from the record after playing for a while, but even more so when it's just me and a guitar, I can have more freedom. So just you and your guitar, acoustic guitar or electric guitar? Electric. Electric still. Mm -hmm. Nice. A few pedals. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's it. Raw. Yeah. Honest. Just you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm sure it's going to suit your music because it's definitely raw mm -hmm. and honest anyway. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> even with the band. And that's what I love first when I, I first listened to, to your music. Uh, uh, I love that uh, you scream sincerity. Mm -hmm, thank you. When you're singing, I guess that's uh, your goal, not to hide anything and just be you with your feelings and whatever you've been through. Definitely. That is, that is exactly how it, it comes out. It's very natural and cathartic um, process through writing the songs and I, yeah, what comes out is usually what, what's on the song, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I said you live in New York, but you're actually from Kansas? I'm from Missouri. Missouri, sorry. Yes. From Kansas, Kansas City in Missouri. Mm -hmm. I went to uh, Kansas City once. Wow. And I've been to Lawrence. Okay. I was doing a conference and I, yeah, I was confused because, uh, yeah, Kansas City is uh, half in Missouri and half in uh, Kansas. Kansas. Right, but the city, <laughs> but the city, city itself. it's in Missouri. And I grew up in Independence, Missouri. Independence. Which that's is a, that's like a beautiful name. <laughs> 30 minutes outside of Kansas City. How, how was it? How was the, the life there? Uh, very different than New York or LA. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was great though. I think uh, it's rural Missouri. I grew up with a lot of woods around me and a big barn and you know open pastures and there's a lot of grit and independence that comes from Missouri I'd say and mm. I'd, I'd say um, open even space, independent, yeah. grit, barn, I mean that's your music. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the downside. I mean, Independence was the second biggest meth capital of the United States oh while gosh. I was living there. Low income. So, I mean, there's also, it's not necessarily beautiful, mm -hmm. but I, I find it beautiful in the woods to be beautiful. 
and you, you like going to the woods and I, I read a story recently that a tree saved your life yeah you got back there earlier this year yeah and yeah, that was in West Virginia oh that was in West Virginia no, yeah not there not okay. there what but happened can you tell us yeah I was um, in West Virginia to do a little writing and rest retreat it was supposed to be I was working really hard and I was like I'm gonna take a week off and then I was told that Rolling Stone wanted to do a premiere on my cover of Come On Let's Go. That's amazing. And they were like, do you have any video content for it? And so I was like, I will make a music video and give me two days. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> I did a DIY video and I taped my phone to the back of a truck and had all these ideas. And one of them was to be in the woods with sparklers at the blue hour which is when the sun's setting and there's like 10 minutes of it not being too dark but still having enough light. And uh, my friend Carmel, who I was staying with, helped me with her flashlight headlamp and she was originally not gonna come with me. I was just gonna do it alone with a tripod. And she started it and um, I pushed record had the sparklers first take and I just walked backwards off of a 10 foot cliff. Oh my God. Yeah. And fell. I fell. Yeah. And I landed on a broken tree and the tree punctured my eye and I broke my ribs and punctured my lung oh my and gosh. it was terrible. And Carmel came around and threw me on her back on the four wheeler and rushed me to the ER, which was 45 minutes away from where she was living with not the best care um they yeah it was uh it was very scary how long was this ago this was in april in april of 2021 recovered now i'm recovered now it took about a month and a half and i couldn't breathe it, it was really i really thought i was dying and even more so even when i was like okay i'm not dying i I'm gonna recover. I really didn't think I'd be able to sing again, and that to me almost felt worse than yeah. dying because it's just singing's been my whole life. And after a month and a half, I was able to sing again. And it took me a long time to get to a lung specialist, and they actually said my lung healed back stronger than wow. before. By itself. What happens by itself? Yeah, over time, and so. And I sing differently now with a lot more just appreciation and I don't know if because the lung healed better or something, <laughs> but I'm, I'm definitely singing more in a more powerful way. You said that the, the, the tree branches punctured your lung, but still it saves your life because if there was no tree... It would have rocks. all been rocks, yeah, broken rocks at the bottom. So it feels like a little bit like Missouri, like beautiful and dangerous. <laughs> Definitely. And the second record is already shaping up. I was writing about my roots when I went to West Virginia. I was writing about like my hometown and the, my roots. And so I think it's just, it kind of is forming where the songs are about trees, life, breathing, my roots, all of it. So it kind of... So it's going to be a, a record about trees. I think no, <laughs> in a way, I think it, a lot of other things too, but No Roof, No Floor was definitely much inspired by the ocean. Oh, okay. And, yeah, oh, this oh, How's that? Um, I did, a, I spent summer of 2020 meditating in the ocean and 
through the pandemic, my roommates and I would go to Fort Tilden Beach in New York every week. And I came up with the phrase while I was on mushrooms <laughs> in the, and meditating in the ocean of no roof, no floor. And I figured if you fought the tide, then it would take you and turn you over and tear you up. But if you would just relax and let the tide go, you would just gracefully go with the wave. And I was really longing to live my life in that way and also longing to love that way with no fear restrictions. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where No Roof, No Floor came from. Also through transitions that I was going through finding myself and I, I find a lot of comfort and inspiration in the ocean. Wow, that's nice. That makes sense. I know a little bit about your life and you've been through a lot of tides and waves. Yeah, definitely. So I guess it was a way for you to overcome those uh, strategies you had, but maybe we can talk about that later. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to go back to Misery a little bit mm -hmm. and see uh, if you were playing music when you were little and mm -hmm. if you were, what was the spark that initiated your, your journey as an artist. There was always music in my life from when I can remember. My dad um, sang in the church, and my uncle and cousins were all musical as well. So I always was singing, and then I was in theater, and then in choir, and sang in the church more, and then I took choir really seriously in high school. Nice. and. Um, then I went to college for music technology with a vocal emphasis and was studying opera. Wow. And I was also, I grew up in the DIY scene and music scene and started going to shows when I was 10. So you were 10. I was 10. You were in the indie scene in uh, Missouri when you were 10. Indie, not <laughs> much until I was 14. I started going to, to like hardcore and emo and screamo uh -huh. shows when I was uh, 10. On your own? With my dad. Uh, my dad, dad would take me to like under oath shows and um, like Christian hard rock and metal and stuff. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And then my first boyfriend, Jude Cash, he was the youngest of six siblings and his siblings were tapped into the DIY scene in Kansas City. And so by the time I was 13, 14, I was going to house shows. Oh, and Where is that documentary? <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure it's <laughs> Maybe someday. <laughs> no, that, look, that, that looks amazing, especially for me as a foreigner, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I grew up in France. And um, of course, when I came to the US, I had a lot of images in my my mind and uh, um, probably stereotypes too and mm -hmm. uh, when I talk you know when I hear about the Midwest now I've been there mm -hmm. so I, I know a little better how mm -hmm. it is and what it looks like but still I never lived there mm -hmm. but uh, what you're saying right now is like straight up a, a movie for yeah. me right? it is yeah I'm like there were nights where there would be two shows on the same block and you would just go to one and then go to the other and It was um, a very, very good scene, a strong scene. And how, how, how big it is, uh, I mean, how many people live there, where you're from, you know? It was, a, I guess, small independence. Yeah, yeah. But in Kansas City, the shows were really happening in independence, definitely in Kansas City, so we would drive oh, yeah, to okay. the city. Oh, yeah, okay. How far was it? I think 20 minutes. 20, oh, okay. yeah. So you live close to the, mm -hmm. the big town in yeah. Brown. <laughs> the big town, yeah. <laughs> 
All right. And when do you when did you start um, playing an instrument? Because you were singing, but did you play an instrument? So I grew up playing piano, just teaching myself. We had an old piano that was my great grandmother's, and I would always just improvise and probably made my best work. That was never documented. <laughs> um, that's where I started, and I always had wanted to play guitar, but I'm left-handed, and oh. my dad worked um, overnights as a pest control guy, so he didn't really have time to like teach me how to play guitar. So it wasn't until I was 18, 19 in college, and I watched a live Pickathon episode of Sharon Van Etten, and I was so moved by it, and it's a big part of my story, and just this moment, like, I remember feeling a tingly sensation all over my body and being really compelled and being like, I can do this. I can write my own songs. And I started learning guitar by playing her songs. And then um, a year or two later, I was writing my own songs and I reached out to her on Instagram and thanked her for sharing her voice and let her know how it impacted me. And she, I sent her a demo and she said that, that, that it was beautiful and if I was ever in New York that we should grab lunch. Which you did. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> I booked a ticket with my two girlfriends from Kansas City, Courtney and Sydney. And we, uh, yeah, we, I met up with Sharon and shared my story and we had a lot of similarities in our stories. And... Um, so she's been your mentor. She has, yeah, and she's still in my life. That's a yeah. crazy story. Um, and she actually, my roommate's now doing live sound for her. Wow. And so she like, you know, we we kept in touch, but it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, we're we keep hitting each other's paths. Jeez, and that's still a movie. <laughs> <laughs> the American Dream. Yeah. No, that, that's amazing. Sharon Von Eden, she's like an amazing artist. That so I incredible. And I see that you're in the same family of artist and I, I found that amazing that you been able to reach out to her and that she would be so cool about so this and just so nice and just meet with you it's like a big boost you know totally I don't think I would have I'd always wanted to move to New York but I don't think I would have been brave enough mm -hmm. I guess or I just needed someone to really just give me that like no you got it that's crazy. Yeah. And she's already big when you when you when Yeah, you that was this. in 2017, yeah. That's that's amazing. And um in the fact that you started learning songs playing her music. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. I know. And um, even just feeling that moved, I watched live videos all the time, but it's something where I think I didn't know, but I felt that it was going to be a big part of my story just watching that live session and I had a feeling that it was a great mm -hmm. impact. I wish I could have done the same when I uh, had that first emotion, like you know, watching a video, and I was like, oh, "Something's happened." Because I'm a musician myself too. It was Elliot Smith. Oh, yes. <laughs> and that's why I'm in LA, actually. Mm -hmm. I have to say, I mm -hmm. moved out to the. Well, see, that's that's an yes, impact. Yeah. Exactly. When I needed something different in my life, at some point, I was like, oh, "I need to do something big because if not, I'm going to die here." Where right. And. I was like, okay, I'll move to LA. I just go, I want to play in the same bars that Elliot Smith went. I mm -hmm. want to go on the Sunset Strip and uh, see that figure eight wall where he took the picture for the cover. I want to feel what it is to be there. Mm -hmm. And I did it. 
like like you like you like booking that mm -hmm. ticket to New York and just meeting with someone you admire. I, I came here all by myself. <laughs> right. And, and I was like, what now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> how how is gonna look day three? Yeah. And here we are, 12 years later. Hey, <laughs> this is how it's looking. That's so cool. So you you didn't plan to move to New York. You go to New York to meet with Sharon, and and then you're like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna move there. That's what happened. That's what happened. I had always wanted to. It had been a desire of mine because. My gram and grandpa on my dad's side went to the New York Academy of Performing Arts. And so I had been told these stories about them and Robert Redford, you know, staying on their couch and being what? in their wedding. Totally crazy. And, you know, my gram got pregnant when she was in college and so they had to leave. And then my grandpa continued to make films and um yeah a lot of b-rated films like the giant spider invasion nice. which is like this like cult classic in japan that oh. mystery science theater redid and so I, I yeah i always had dreams and i knew my gram wanted it for me as well no that that's amazing so you you had an attach attachment to new york i had an attachment history right but i didn't really i i grew up with such a tight-knit community and I I felt like I had to get out of there, but yeah, I needed an extra push from an outsider and definitely someone that I admired as well. And you, you mentioned that you went to church. Was that like, uh, did you live in a very family of believers, like community, like very, mm -hmm. like singing the, the church songs? Oh yeah, like definitely. So mm -hmm. I guess, tell me if I'm wrong, but I imagine when you're in a family like this, it's really hard to to leave the nest and go somewhere else on your own because you're just so used to be with your family all the time? A little bit, yeah, I'd say it, with religion and stuff, my mom, she is one to always keep you on your toes and I think I got that trait from her. We changed religions kind of often. We were like- Change religions? Yeah, it was, I've been baptized, I've had a bar mitzvah, <laughs> I like, went to non-denomination, Nazarene church, grew up in a community of Christ church, um, RLDS was big, Mormons, all that stuff, so it was a big melting pot of religions. Um, she was just exploring to find a sense of home, I think, and there was only four people in my immediate family growing up, just my brother and I, and then my mom and dad. And we always hosted foreign exchange students, and I was close with my cousins. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I didn't. It, it was hard leaving my family, but it's not what you would think of the classic American, mm -hmm. like tight knit, you know. Plus, you were independent because I, uh, I read somewhere that you were like already working at fifteen. Yeah, fourteen. Like, yeah, fourteen. Fourteen. What, what, yeah. What were you doing at this time? I was a lifeguard. That was my first job. A lifeguard. Uh huh. Nice. At 14. In a swimming pool? In what? a swimming pool, yeah. Oh, wow. And then I had my second, I was working two jobs by the time I was 15. And before that even, I was helping my grandpa paint houses. So I bought my first car when I was 15 for my own money before I could even have my license. So That's I was amazing. very, I've always been um, hardworking. And when I have my mindset on something, I've always been able to achieve it. And still, you managed to go to college, College of uh, University of Central Missouri, right? Mm -hmm. For music, and that's where you 
learn opera singing again. Mm -hmm. Crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, and I did. I did drop out. I only went for two years, and I was um, driving to Kansas City like, twice a week to go to shows, and I wasn't really finding the community in Warrensburg, Missouri, which is more rural than you can imagine. And so I dropped out and started writing my own songs and working in the city. Wow. And um, so you you. Before you got to New York, you had already a bunch of originals. Mm -hmm. That's what you sent to Sharon. Yeah, I had um, an EP, a eight song or seven song EP called Scout and the Snaggles uh, that I had put out. And it was just you? It was, I had a band. Oh, you had a band? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, it's, that's not online, right? It's not, but some people have found it somewhere and I want to know where. I only have the CDs. I put it on Bandcamp. And then later took it down when I moved to New York because I wanted to fresh slate. Mm -hmm. But I might put it out again in the future. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> so you arrived in New York and you didn't plan this. So obviously life in New York is expensive. How does it go for you in the immediate first days? Like Whew. I, well, I was lucky that I was able to find a job literally oh, right the next day, right away at a coffee shop. And that was at Toby's Estate Coffee in Williamsburg. And I had made some of my dearest friends that are still a part of my life and community yes. now. And we are all musicians. And my bass player, uh, who I still play with, I met at this coffee shop. Wow. And he was the roaster. And I went up to him like after a week and I was like, do you play music? Because he just looked <laughs> like it, you know? It looked cool. And he said that he dabbled, <laughs> but he was actually a really good jazz bass player. Oh, wow. And um, we started jamming and it was hard for sure. because I also don't have the luxury of having, you know, family that I could like fall back on for money. So I was working a lot and adjusting at the time I was partying too, because that's how you'd make friends. You'd go to shows and you probably know how New York is. It's you can just party all night, and uh, it took me a while to really like be like, oh yeah, that's you. That's how my money goes. <laughs> you know. And how old are you at this time? How, how old was I? Yeah. I was 22. 22. That's the time where you. Do I know. Those I know. <laughs> so, so stupid. <laughs> so you work hard and party hard. Yes. And then you still have the time to start uh, your first band in New York or mm -hmm. something? So I was playing with Ted, the bass player, with my solo stuff. And then my band Shadow Year, Shadow Year yeah. um, formed in December of 2017. And I met the guitarist and other writer, Tyler, through that coffee shop as well. He was a friend okay. of someone I was working with. And it was around Christmas of 2017 where we did our first studio jam. It might have been Christmas Eve, and uh, that's when that project started. And so then I kind of, I was always focusing on my solo stuff, but then Shadow Year definitely took the main focus for a few years. But, but you're not playing with Shadow Year anymore, right? No, through the pandemic, we kind of both started to do our projects. But maybe there will be... Yeah. Maybe we'll reunite again. And how was the scene in uh, Williamsburg at, uh, at this time? Or was there a scene? It was fine. Yeah, there was a bit of a scene. I 
was playing more at like Our Wicked Lady, Sunnyvale, Alphaville, Babies. Um, so kind of the same clubs that I'm playing at now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know much about you. Yeah. I've only been there once. But it looks like a vibrant and really hard city. I, I'm very comfortable in LA because, you know, I, I don't know, it's not that dense mm -hmm. in a way. It feels like, like you said, like New York, you could party all night and just go to work the next day. It's like there's a continuity in the noise and the noise. Oh, yeah. The Static energy constantly <laughs> just buzzing. Yeah. Wow, so you, you still live in New York, right? Mm -hmm. Where are you based? Still the same? Uh, I'm in Bed-Stuy. And uh, where is that? That ends in Brooklyn, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Brooklyn, of course. And uh, are you still in touch with Sharon? Mm-hmm. So how, how, does, how is she impacting your life right now? Um, in a nice way, just, you know, after the record being really supportive and after the fall, she said some messages. I saw her record release at Union Pool and that was great and i got to see her wild hearts tour show in new york and hang out with her after but you know she's got a five-year-old kid and a family and yeah so it's just it's sweet and nice when i get to it's see her to have the yeah. news from her and get in touch from time to time mm -hmm. she's still a, a great drive I guess, mm -hmm. the, definitely the and um you started your own Booking company. Mm -hmm. That's what I, I read. What, what's the name again? Road Dog Booking. Road Dog Booking. I like that. Why did you start that and, and when? I started it because I started it in 2018 and I was booking my own tours and my one of my greatest friends, Isaac McClung, called me Road Dog because I love being on the road and so a lot of friends would call me Road Dog. And I realized that there was a need for a booking agent that was helping, that needed to help independent artists because I realized myself booking my own tours that there are gatekeepers at venues who are like, what's your touring experience like? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, how do you get a job without job experience? So it's about building good bills and just like letting the venue know that it's just, it's going to be a good show. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I, I found I was good at it and I just kept going with it and building it and it was going well and then the pandemic hit and I felt pretty done by it because I was working on like three or tours that had to be canceled oh, and then I had a client Hannah Francis hit me up in about a year ago and she wanted to do a two-month solo tour And I was like, that's crazy, but I love her music a lot and really believed in her and saw a lot of myself in her, actually, of like just how hungry she was to play. And then since then, and I think since my success, Road Dog's been growing as well. So That's amazing. So you book other artists, too, and you, you keep doing it, like helping yeah. other people. Yeah. That's amazing. And uh, why is that, that you're a road dog? What do you find on the road that you don't find when you're home? There's... I, I love being on the road. I think there's something so special about the open road and all the endless possibilities, the unknown that you're walking into. You really never know how a show is going to be. The audience, so much comes into play with the outcome. And I learned so much at such a radical pace on the road of how I need to sing songs, how I need to 
uh, demand the audience's attention between how a room sounds, how a room feels, what I like about it, what I don't, and I have the whole next day to meditate on it. And I also record all of my um, performances to listen back and to take notes. And so I like that and I just love traveling. I mean, it's hard. It's really hard (laughs) too. It's hard on your body and uh, it can be mentally hard too and just to not really feel settled, but I do enjoy it a lot. And when you tour solo, you're just by yourself? Like, yeah, but I, I have my friend with me on this one, helping okay. me with merch. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. And it's just you two, like, mm-hmm. like driving in the, through the unknown. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And it's just me driving, because I'm the only one on the rental car. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wow. And you said something interesting to me, you said uh, like reading rooms, reading mm-hmm. audiences, just you know, comedians, comedians, they say that, mm-hmm. but I never hear like, like artists, like singer, singers say that. Mm-hmm. So is your show going to be different because there's a different vibe in the audience? Yeah. Like, so definitely. every night it's something mm-hmm. different. What's, what's, what changes? Well, I started viewing performing and appreciating performing. Maybe I, I, I wouldn't say I prefer more than live recordings or than, I'm sorry, recording sessions, but I do like it because it does feel like an exchange of the unknown. Everyone in the room is bringing their experiences, their day, their bullshit, you know, all of it to the table, and if you can break into them and have it be an exchange, it's less just like, here are my songs, throwing them out just at a wall and seeing them back to back. with the audience? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I try, I mean, sometimes it's harder. It depends on If I feel comfortable, yeah, but there are some shows or venues that it doesn't feel so comfortable. You know, the lights, you can see mm-hmm. everyone's faces, and that can be really intense when it's just bright lights. Like intimidating. On the, yeah. Um, but if the vibes are all good, if I'm feeling comfortable, I'll try to have, you know, some things to talk about or engage with them. And I think that also helps a lot with it being solo and on solo tours. You Do you know? have, like, hecklers? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> How do you manage that? <laughs> uh, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I've told people to shut up before. Oh, did? <laughs> <laughs> I did in Kansas City. I did. I said, this is a ballad, so shut up. <laughs> and everyone shut up, and then they thanked me after. But I don't know if I could do that mm. solo with myself. My band was behind me to support me if the heckling kept going. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you... Like, how do you judge that a, a venue is going to be good for you? Like, how do you know the market? I mean, for, to me, it's like, it's like science, you know, like magic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't really, really know. There's venues that I've played that I'm familiar with and that I go back to. I'd say for this West Coast one, I feel pretty good about all the venues that I've walked in and have known about them and haven't played them yet. So I think it'll be a good experience, but it is something where you just have to be present and also just in tune with yourself and be able to just, yeah, be able to be intuitive and intentional. And how do you market that? Because when you book your, your, yourself a show, you're on your own, so you mm-hmm. have to do also all the marketing, I guess. Uh, Definitely. It's a lot of work. Yeah, tour managing all of it. Yeah. Booking hotels, figuring out the merch. It's a ton of work yeah, yeah I get uh, even 
better appreciation for your music. You're gonna now I know what's behind <laughs> all of this. Yeah. Just you like putting out putting the hours on. Mm -hmm. So how how do you like um, how do you do do you reach out to the local radio stations? How how does it work? Yeah, some of that I do have PR with Capture Tracks and they and also radio. So Tarot Bird helps me with radio. But I just reach out to people that I know, and I send invitations. I do research. That's nice. Um, I try to work with people at the venues, like promoters and stuff. That's good. Yeah. You're doing great work. Thank you. <laughs> and I uh, also read that you're very involved with um, causes. Like I read something about Narcan training, mm -hmm. but I don't know what it is. Can you educate oh, me on Oh, yeah. So Narcan is what you use when uh, an overdose happens. So it's a nasal spray and it's 100% effective for um, opioid or fentanyl overdoses. And I got involved with that because I had just lost too many people to accidental fentanyl overdoses. And I know it's one of the like leading causes of death for people from 21 to 29 yeah, it's, it's over yeah so. it's over car accidents it's become a huge huge crisis and I lost someone that I was dating in 2018 to an accidental fentanyl overdose and it rocked my world and that was right before I started road dog as well that's when I was just kind of like I want to be on the road as much as possible I want to just live my dream and go after it and I it took probably about a year to get into the Narcan work, but I did research and found a nonprofit in Bushwick, and I worked there for over a year, and I still volunteer there from time to time. And I just am trying to spread awareness and normalize something that people are really uncomfortable to talk about. But it's like, hey, listen, sometimes people do drugs or like to put things up their nose and. That's okay, I'm no one to judge, but let's just be safe and like mm -hmm. normalize this and normalize establishments and venues and bars having this. And so I was doing training and doing a lot of events that had Narcan training at it. And uh, I think mm -hmm. I read somewhere that sometimes it shows to educate people. Yes, about yeah, it. definitely. And I wanted to, I did it on the East Coast and Midwest tour, but it can be sketchy flying with Narcan. Someone told me that, so what? I didn't. Sorry? It can be um, weird traveling with Narcan and you can get uh, stopped and hassled. Someone told me that, so I didn't fly with the Narcan to the West Coast. Because of the different regulations in different states? I guess so. I, don't, I really don't understand and I was, um, I'm hoping to bring some in March or have it shipped out here in advance, but I think that it's just not normalized and so they're okay. like well are you doing a lot of drugs is that why you're bringing all this narcan and it's tsa i don't think yes. will really understand yeah. this maybe, maybe you get help, can help from the organization yeah definitely working with sometimes yeah it's a like it to me it's crazy again as a foreigner i see that and i'm like what what's happening in this country about these drugs because we hear about it on the news constantly mm -hmm. and this year again there was like a big um, thing in the news because they found some fentanyl in Candace mm -hmm. like in the truck like mm -hmm. uh, on the border like uh, and uh, to me it's like uh, 
it's crazy. I, uh, I don't get this. I guess it's the uh, the new drug that is uh, killing everybody now. Yeah, and, it uh, is. It's uh, it's hard. Yeah. And, uh, so my, my friend Julian just showing me some facts right now. Just in 2021, nearly 108,000 people died from mm. auto overdoses. That's, uh, and 71,000 of them died from fentanyl mm-hmm. overdose. That, that's that 71,000 of 100,000 of fentanyl. That's like, it's so crazy. And really, before 2017, I had never heard of fentanyl. I never even really known. And I didn't know this person was using either. I know that they had in the past and they were clean. And so it just, it really oh, wow. rocked my world. Yeah. You had no idea. Mm-hmm. And it just happened to overdose and you mm-hmm. just left in the world with that. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And I'm, um, I'm sorry first. Thank and, you. Uh, thank you for like uh, having the strength to want to talk about this and help you normalizing. I think it's, a, uh, it's something uh, beautiful, beautiful that adds up to your story. Thank you. So, yeah. Thank you. What, sorry? Twice as many deaths uh, as COVID nineteen. Wow! Wow! More See? than cancer, more than t- double of car accidents and suicide. That's, wow! That's See, that's a problem, and it's like I feel like it has this. It's starting to be normalized, but still not even really. I mean. I know I have sensed when people have been uncomfortable when I've talked about it, you know, or think mm-hmm. like that I am using or have used or something like that when I talk mm-hmm. about it. But it's it's not it's not that it's just really knowing that it's a huge issue and something that really uh, needs light on. How has it affected your music, that personal story? Oh, uh, by a lot. I mean, I think after that loss, I Russell uh, was their name and they really believed in my music and believed in you know my career and you know at the time I was like yeah I want to tour I want to like, do all this and they were really encouraging of it and after some time grieving I I started yeah I started booking my own tours and just being like going after it and I that was the motivation it was definitely and I was like screw this life is too short this is what I want to mm-hmm. do and in a way, myself. yeah, and I've, I've carried, yeah. yeah, and I've carried them through all of my songs, through all my performances, through, um, yeah, they, they were a big inspiration yeah. through a lot of it. Well, I'm, I'm thankful for that, uh, for that you are still um, like uh, pushing yourself and creating music uh, despite all of this. And uh, here we come. You had a big year because you released a an EP in April, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm, am I correct? Mm-hmm. And uh, your album, like uh, almost uh, like less than a year after that. Oh yeah, just a few months after, yeah. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, I want to talk about this record. I know we, we talked a little bit at the beginning, um, No Roof, No Floor, Inspired by the Ocean. Now mm-hmm. I get it, I get the title now. And uh, you recorded that at Nick Kinsey Studios, mm-hmm. the Chicken Shack, mm-hmm. that's right. Uh, it's in uh, in a barn mm-hmm. in upstate New York, mm-hmm. and uh, you recorded with the doors wide open. Is mm-hmm. that right? Mm-hmm. That looks like a Neil Young fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! Yeah, yeah, it was. It was really cool. So we recorded it. 
in Stanfordville, New York, and I found Nick Kinsey through Kevin Morby. He played drums in Kevin Morby's band, and I saw Waxahachie was recording mm. there. And so I reached out to him, and we started the session in February of 2020, so a month before the world shut down. <laughs> and then that was all kind of more indoors in the studio, and that was like Crooked, Mother of Myself, and Western Eyes in 1 to 10. And then... We, yeah, everything was on, on hold, and Ted, the person I was playing bass with, he's originally from L.A., and he moved back to L.A. to be with his family, and yeah, my band kind of just dispersed, and I was on unemployment, and that changed my life because I had never been paid to be an artist. <laughs> and that funded my record, truly, that, oh my and, the, that and the stimulus checks. You know, if you would be French, you, you would have unemployment every month being an artist. Well, some, <laughs> some French person can marry me, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll gladly take I that. I know <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll set that up later. Uh, no. <laughs> um, and so that... That was crazy. I mean, just kind of the pandemic was a dark time in a lot of ways, but it actually funded my record. It helped me write this record. I got to just be really free and not work all the time. And I, yeah, found my sobriety through there. I became sober and I don't drink anymore. And um, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. So, that's amazing. So you got to restart the process of, of recording the record after, mm -hmm. well, not after we're still in the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> but after but, it was yeah, like a little, yeah. yeah, so we went back and Nick called me in August or something, was like, let's get this going. I know some session players who could play on it. And um, so that was Elle Kempner from yeah. Pale Hound and David so, yeah. Lismy from Miss Mister. And Zach Janikin from Donald Fagan's band, and Donald Fagan of Steely Dan, so it was like some legends. That's amazing. And I was so nervous because I had only played with people I knew, mm -hmm. and I had to write "Trust on My Hand." I know it's so cheesy, but I wrote "Trust in My Hand" every day because I was really uh, nervous about it. But I had to like meditate every morning and uh, trust that it was the right you thing. You meditate a lot. Mm -hmm. After every show, after yeah, every yeah, yeah, before shows, after shows. Is there something new in your life? Um, ish, I'd say since the pandemic, it's become more of a practice for sure. And what do you find in that? Like, uh, it helps you like reflect on what you just lived. Like, mm -hmm. for example, after a show, why you 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 feel the need to meditate about that? Yeah, it helps me reflect on everything that I just experienced and it helps me learn you know I get to just like listen back and apply what I've learned to the next show and right. yeah sometimes I get in my head a lot about things so I think it's it's good to just kind of recenter myself I've seen a, a, a live video at the barn right that mm -hmm. you released not a long time ago mm -hmm. you see Elle from Pale Holland playing mm -hmm. so that the whole crew that was recording with you the album that came back and uh, you did that live so Elle is the only one that came back for that 
And then I used the rest of my band that I've been touring with. So I had said, you know, because I'd been playing live with my band, Ted moved back to New York okay. to play music with me. I called him and I was like, leave LA and come back to New York. We got a lot of shows coming up. Um, so we did that. And then Chris, who plays drums, has also played with me for five years. He played in Shadow Year as well. Oh, okay. And so I, I just felt like it was a different kind of um, tightness and togetherness. Mm -hmm. And um, then, yeah, Nick Kinsey recorded it. And then Elle came with us to play as well. I love the, mm -hmm. the, the, the video. That well, there's did. more coming up. Nice. The, the whole uh, set? Yeah. The, no, yeah. There's like five songs. Oh, cool. Perfect. Uh, before we... Uh, stop this uh, interview and uh, actually I'm, uh, I love this um, thank you so much me too thank you um, I want to talk about because I, I read about it I didn't know where to throw this but I know you're an Elvis fan I'm a huge Elvis have, fan we have the same uh, favorite song what Blue Moon what that's your favorite song yeah totally that is so that song is actually a part and my obsession with Elvis is a lot about my loss with Russell so Russell Um, would call me Debbie because Debbie Harry's a third cousin of mine, which I can What? get to that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole other part of my story that I actually would talk too much about in interviews um, on my Graham's side, but not uh -huh. by blood because she was adopted. But the night of Russell Shiva, uh -huh. uh, I had a show in New York, and so I had buried Russell and then went to the show, and it was at the time I was drinking and. I don't know if you've ever been to a shiva, but there's lots of drinking involved. I'd thrown my phone in a lake. I had to message Ted, my bass player, on Facebook to get me an Uber from my place to the venue. Wow. I get there, and one of my best friends, Matt Allen, said, Scout, your girl's here. And Debbie Harry was in an all-white sparkly suit, like an angel. Oh my god. I'll get to Elvis in a minute. Sorry, this is a little bit of a detour. Um, That's in the movie. Yeah, this is in the movie. <laughs> and I went up to her and I asked if she knew Bill and Juggy, which are my, that's my Graham's aunt and uncle. Uh-huh. And she said yes, and we talked for a long time. And I, yeah, I, I actually just sent her a letter in my record last week because I've waited years because I wanted to wait till I had my record and to really be able to put into words of what that night meant to me because it did feel like Russell sent an angel to me because and so I would call Russell Elvis because Elvis was like his you know maybe like family relative that was long lost who he was really inspired by and he had never heard Blue Moon he had never heard the Sun Sessions so one of the last things I shared with him was the Sun Sessions oh, and wonderful. So that, that song was like something that got me through a really, really emotional time. I played it on repeat for weeks and... It's an amazing song. It's just haunting and there's nothing, no other song like this. <laughs> it's true, yeah. The, the voice is like... It, it's insane. It's so desperate and compelling and every single note rings just in a way that I've never heard an, another voice. Do you cover? I thought about it. And I'm thinking about doing another a covers record and it's definitely on the list. Played Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. 
Maybe. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll play it sometime. I, lo I love this song so much. It's just... You know how to play it? I would have to look at the chords, I guess. I think it's pretty easy. I've pl played yeah, it before, yeah. It's not like a... It's, it's never like the record. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we, can, we couldn't do it. Like, that's why I'm nervous about doing it. It's like, uh, you know, Elvis... Uh. It feels like it was recorded at the end of the night, you know? Definitely, at the like, end of the night. There's, there's something so eerie and mm -hmm. beautiful in this song. And uh, I actually went to... Memphis this year. Oh yeah, did you go to Sun Studios? Yes, uh, and uh, I got emotional. I got to record in Sun Studios. Oh really? I almost booked a session there because they they're doing that. They, oh, that that's cool. Yeah, the guy that was working, I got really emotional as well during the tour, and he invited us to come back after our show in Memphis to record, and oh so we God. spent after hours. Actually, I'm not gonna lie, on the back of the picture of Bono that's in Sun Studios. Mm -hmm. I did write in Sharpie on the back of it. You tried your best. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> that's true. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if I have anything against Bono, really, but it's nothing it, like Elvis. It's just, yeah, yeah, exactly. And yes, I was there for Elvis. Sun Records, so right. what are you going to do? <laughs> that was a crazy experience being there until like 4 a.m., that's in studios. What did you play? I played some older songs. This was in 2019. And I played... I'd have to dig up the recordings. Uh, I, I, I haven't hear it. Yeah, they're, they're not online. They are very, very raw. And we need the sun very, session. <laughs> the Scout Gilded Sun Session. Yeah, someday. <laughs> did you play like a live recording? Mm-hmm. Vocals you on guitar. To, you go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't dub anything. It's just like it has to be like he, he used to be. Yeah, I'm curious. I'd have to go back and see what I did. I really don't even know. It's nothing that was on the record. It's something that I was was writing and never put on a record. So I love Memphis a lot. I love Graceland too, but it's different. It's like mm -hmm. Disneyland. Or, right. You no, know, it's a different vibe. Yeah. <laughs> but Sun Record is definitely one of my favorite things I've done in the U.S. because it means so much. What do you think about the movie? Uh, I haven't seen the Elvis movie yeah. yet. No. You don't want to? No, it's not that. It's just I've had a busy last few months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Driving and booking and singing. Yeah. That's and great. writing. And writing. Yeah, yeah, my second record's really... Oh my gosh, the second record is out in two months? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, given your pace, no. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> no, give me another year. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It's an uh, immense pleasure to talk to you and uh, discover your story. And uh, you're very inspiring. And uh, I'm sure people who are listening to us will be too. Thank you so much. And right now, you're going to perform a song for us too yeah uh, I'm gonna put it in the, at the end of the podcast and we, what, what's the name of the song do you know already what you're gonna play? Uh, what, what guitar am I playing um, I brought the, this guitar okay right here, which is like a acoustic Martin but it's not left-handed that's I play right-handed okay. Yeah. okay and um, what song am I gonna do uh, I was thinking either um, oh can I, can I suggest something yeah let me check the titles. I don't want to say something that yeah. is wrong. But my favorite of the record, I'm going to tell you right now. 
he's strangers in silence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean that long note that yeah. you push with your vocal it get, got me crazy when I was listening to it I was like when is she gonna stop? <laughs> and the longer it holds the more I'm like overwhelmed yeah. by my feelings like that, that's yeah. a really amazing song oh thank you okay yeah. I could do that I haven't I, could, I should put that back in my set list I can do that for you on Sunday, I've Please. not been playing it. So, yeah, I was thinking of Signal 1 to 10 or a newer song, but oh. I also don't want to get in trouble from a newer song. This is all stuff we can cut out, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm not sure I'm going to cut this. It's <laughs> yeah. pretty cool. This, <laughs> yeah, this is It doesn't sound like an interview anymore, yeah. which I like. Yeah, this is. <laughs> but you don't have to play it now because we're going to. Unless you about it. Well, I have to tune the guitar. Yeah, 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 because I haven't tuned the guitar. Mm. We should play Blue Moon. Hmm? We should play Blue Moon. Blue Moon! You saw me standing alone. Oh my gosh. Without a word in my heart.
You know, it was so uh, close. Usually, Answer I go really, really loud. <laughs> I got scared. <laughs> no, you did amazing. Thank that you. Was beautiful. Um, that was Kat Gillett was on the podcast, you guys. I think you're gonna fall in love with her, like I did. So, thank you so much for being here thank you. today, and um, we'll see you on the road. We'll see you on the road. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>